right. Well, let's go ahead and read the creed together and then um, jump in to this week's topic, which is the forgiveness of sins. So let's read this. Can you see that? Do we need to turn lights off? We good? Okay. I believe in God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Got faster as we went through that. That's all right. Um, let, me, let me pray for us before we start here. Heavenly Father, as we um, discuss the forgiveness of sins tonight, we come to a very important topic. So I pray that you would help us to understand. I pray that you would help me to um, teach with clarity and help us all to learn, um, not, not from my thoughts or opinions, but from your word this evening. We pray that you would, um, that you would convict us of sin, even as, as we learn this evening that we would confess them to you and repent and be forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's say it's tomorrow morning, you're at school, Zoom, whatever you go to on Mondays, and one of your friends that you've been praying for for a while, he's not a Christian, she's not a Christian, she comes to you and says, you know what? I think I want to be a Christian. What do I need to do? Tell me, tell me about becoming a Christian. What do you say to them? Yeah. Okay, accept Jesus. Okay, repent and confess. Uh huh. A couple things. Okay. One, I explain what the gospel is to them. Okay. Second, I tell them to try and like go to church for a Sunday and after the sermon talk to the pastor. He'll probably get better insight than me. Uh huh. And read a Bible. I suggest Matthew. Uh -huh. Church, Matthew. Any, any other thoughts we want to throw in into that mix? Yep. Okay. So this is exactly what I suspected. When it comes to, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? We basically jump to you're a sinner and you need your sins forgiven, right? You know, that's what accepting Jesus is about is having him forgive your sins. Repent, um, you know, talk to a pastor after going to a church, maybe read the Bible to figure out what this is all about admit you're a sinner. We like to jump in right where we are this week, the forgiveness of sins. I think what the creed sees that we don't see though, um, maybe this is what people saw in 300 to 700-ish AD that we don't see in 2021 AD, is that it's 
not the best place to start just with the forgiveness of sins. Um, I mean, I don't know why I keep these numbers going, but we're in week 14 right here. And we just said, okay, if somebody wants to become a Christian, we start with week 14. We ignore more or less one through 13. Like this part of the creed doesn't matter. Um, but the, the, the composers, the authors of the creed have something different in mind, right? We like to put the forgiveness of sins up front, but they're putting it at the end. They say there's something bigger, something more essential to believe um, before we even get to the forgiveness of sins. Um, so, you know, just broadly speaking, think back since September, what is this part of the creed all about? Yeah. It's basically about what Jesus did and saying we believe in him. Okay. So about Jesus. Can we make that even broader? The Trinity. Yeah. It's about the Trinity. It's about God the Father, Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to say, before we ever get to what it means to be forgiven of our sins, we need to talk about who we've sinned against being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to understand who forgives sins, again, being God. Um, we, need to, we need to put who God is up front before our response to who God is. Um, or maybe we say it this way. If you read the Bible, right, just starting first page, well, that's like your Library of Congress stuff, get through the table of contents, Genesis 1. You have Genesis 1 about who God is and what God's doing. Genesis 2 about who God is and what he's doing. Some of Genesis 3. And then you have sin enter the picture. We don't want to jump into Genesis 3 and ignore the goodness and the beauty that comes before in Genesis 1 and 2. We need to see God's goodness before we see the problem of sin. And I think maybe the reason that we don't confess our sins, either as unbelievers to become a Christian or as Christians, we think, you know, Jesus has forgiven me, my sin's not that big of a deal, is because we don't take time to consider God first. We think sins are, you know, primarily, ah, I broke a rule, it's not a big deal, I didn't get caught, like, I, I mean, it's bad, but it's not the worst thing ever. But we don't take time to actually think about who God is before we start dealing with our sins. We're disinterested in God, which makes us disinterested in our sin. Um, so that being said, we do need to deal with the forgiveness of sins. You guys are right. What does it mean to become a Christian? We need to accept Jesus as our, as our Savior. We need to repent. We need to admit we're sinners. It's going to be a good idea to uh, go to a church. We already talked about that last week, right? To read the Bible in these things. Even talk to a pastor. Um, but, but we need to first deal with the forgiveness of sins. So let's just start really basic. What is, oh, I have it up there. What, what is sin? Let's say you didn't look at that slide. What is sin? Are we happy with that? You think, okay, shoot, okay. I mean, that's kind of like how most of the time sin is defined. Okay, what about the other times? 
Don't just read my slides. Come on. Right, what is sin? It is the opposite of what God is. Okay, so sin is the opposite of God. Um, yeah, anything else we could add there? Yep. Something you basically do in like your everyday life. Okay, so it's a normal part of human experience. Something you do in everyday life, everybody sins. What else can we say about sin? There's a certain mindset behind sin. Okay. We're kind of talking about sin in terms of action or inaction. Like you either do something wrong or you do, don't do something you're supposed to do that's right. Okay. But, um, but I think there's also an idea behind sin too, which maybe is um, maybe, uh, sorry, I don't know what's coming up, so I don't want like, to. <laughs> oh, you're good. But, but uh, let, have you considered this? Um, Maybe God's not as good as he says he is. Or, um, or maybe something like, um, maybe there's something better to enjoy than God himself. Maybe there's some, some ideas behind that too, um, besides just the action, so to speak. Okay, so you're talking like how the devil tempted Eve. Hey, did God really say, like God's holding out on you, just eat the fruit. There's this mindset behind sin. Okay. Yeah, I think we're getting there. Sin is, we all sin. Everybody here is a sinner. Christian or not, you're a sinner. Sin comes from a mindset of believing untruths about God. Um, there's, sin is a product of our heart. Um, you can sin by doing things you shouldn't do, or you can sin by not doing things you should do. Um, it's really, you know, God tells us what's right and wrong in this world, right? And any thought, or word or deed that breaks God's law is sin. I, I reference 1 John 3, 4 there, um, which says, everyone who makes practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It's living apart from what is right and wrong. It's living apart from the law. So I know it's point number two, but so why do people sin? Why don't we just do what's right? If sin makes, curses us, mm -hmm. the existence of sin, that makes us like a, I don't know, like a rotten tree. And everything that we try to produce that's good is just rotten fruit because it comes from us. Okay. There we go. So go ahead and flip over to Luke 6, 45 with me. So we'll start in 643. Somebody want to read Luke 643 through 45? Jesus says people are like trees, right? If you have a healthy tree, you're going to get healthy fruit. 
If you have a nasty gangly disease tree, you're going to get diseased fruit, right? No, you know, grapes don't grow on bramble bushes or things like that. Like the kind of tree produces a certain kind of fruit. And so we sin, we have bad actions in our lives because at the core of who we are, apart from Christ, we are bad people, right? It's not just like, man, Dan's a pretty good guy, but he does bad things on occasion. You know, sometimes he runs a red light to try and turn left. Did that this morning accidentally. Um, still sin if it's an accident. Sometimes he, you know, runs a red. Sometimes he gets mad and he kicks his cat. Sometimes he, you know, steals from the pop fund in the refrigerator, like whatever it is. Um, it's not that Dan's a pretty good guy, but he does bad things. Dan's biggest problem is that I'm bad, right? I'm not a good person. At the core of me is badness, and that's why sin happens. And, you know, we talked about this several weeks back, I think in the virgin birth lesson, which was, let's say, November, December. Um, why, are, why are we like this? Why can't people just be good all the time? Why are we bad trees to start with? We're sinners because Adam sinned. Thank you for reading the slides, Liam. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. So the way it works is our father, father way back in Adam, sinned. He was bad. And then, you know, when cats have children, it produces kittens. When dogs have babies, it's dogs. When people have kids, they're people. Like, I'm hoping that my little kid's a kid and not like a rhino or something like it doesn't work that way so when sinners have kids they're they're sinners right if you have a bad you know fountain it's going to make bad streams that come out of it sin has entered humanity from the very beginning from adam and now everyone who comes from adam all of us are born wrong we're born in sin and so because of this because we're bad, we do bad things, which look like having thoughts and words and deeds that break God's law. And, you know, just to make sure we're all on the same page, what's the consequences of sin? The Messinos know this for sure, but death, yeah. Sin leads to death. So let me ask you a question. Is that fair? So let's say Dan ran a red light. That's illegal. It's wrong. It's sinning against the government. Um, you guys don't run red lights. No one drives. Let's say Dan's hungry and it's lunchtime and he's alone in the church and the Wendy's app has 99 cent large fries today because it's free 99 cent Friday. And I'm like, man, grab my wallet. Don't have any money. I'm like, there's money in the youth fridge. I'm going to go clean out the pop, and I'm going to get me some 99-cent fries. So I steal pop money from the church to get me lunch. That's why I'm fat. Um, is that really worth an eternity in hell? Is that? Or, you know, let's take a different example. God creates an entire world, and he says, you can eat these pears and these peaches and these plums and these apples and these pomegranates. But this tree, no. This tree is off limits. You can't eat this fruit. Eat this fruit. 
And then Adam and Eve eat a piece of fruit. Is fruit worth the condemnation, the eternal damnation, the punishment in hell for all humanity because of fruit? Is that fair of God or is that a little bit petty is the word? You guys know what petty means? You know, we're always interested in the most minor things. Is God just for doing that? Is that right? Yeah? Why? Because he told us not to. Okay. And we did it anyway. And, that's, and he also said that, said if you did it, you're going to die as well. Okay. So we had warnings. We had, con we had, we were told of the consequences up front. Any other thoughts? That is that right? Is that is that too much? Does the punishment fit the crime? You ate the wrong banana in your lunch, and now your parents kill you. We're happy with that because they said if you eat Chloe's banana, I'm going to kill you. What are you going to say, Josiah? In the eyes of God, all sin is the same. Okay. The smallest lie is the same to death as him. So it doesn't matter what you did. If it's considered a sin, God. You're accountable for all, for all of the things. Okay, so you're getting into James. We're saying, like, it doesn't matter how you break the law. If you break the law, that's the problem. Are we, are we getting into it at all what the tree was that they ate from? No, I'm just saying okay. actions in general. So, so let, me, let me give you a different definition of sin. Let's talk about sin as cosmic treason. What, what is treason? Anybody know that word? Okay, it's worthy of death. Specific type of crime. Mm -hmm. What are the what are the contexts that you guys understand treason? Where have you heard treason before? Books. With what happening? About what? Like, About against what? the king. Okay, here we go. Bingo. Great word. Yeah, betraying your king or your country. The thing that you should be loyal to, you are you turn your back on. You you're a traitor. You betray them, um, and and it's worthy of death. So sin is more than, you know. Okay, yeah, I ate the wrong fruit. I stole ninety nine cents from the fridge. That's an action of sin, but sin is much bigger than that. That is a consequence of a greater state of mind, a state of cosmic treason. Because it says, you know what? God tells me what's right, but I don't care what God says is right. I'm going to do what I think is right instead. God tells me I'm under his authority. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do what I want instead. So since more than just, you know, stealing actions, words, deeds that break God's law. It's actually going against God himself, right? So um, it's, it's rejecting God. In the beginning, God created us so that we would reflect his image and fill the world with his glory, right? That's why we're image bearers. We're pictures of God. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you know, God set man at the pinnacle of creation so that the whole world would be filled with these little pictures of God so that his glory would be known far and wide. But instead of saying, I want to reflect God and his goodness, rather we're saying, yeah, God, you know, whatever. But look at Dan. Look at Liam. Look at Chloe. Look how great I am. I'm the one who should be worshipped. I'm the one who should be in charge. 
We're just not being content to be like God. We want to be God instead. And the only way to get God off the throne is to kill him. So every time that we sin, we're saying, I wish God were dead and I were in his place. The reason I stole 99 cents, I didn't actually steal, I don't know why I'm using that example over and over, is because I wish God was dead and I could make the rules about how we need to live. So this is why it's so important to put, you know, who God is before just dealing with forgiveness. We need to remember God in our sins or else we think it's like, yeah, that doesn't seem quite fair to have a problem with fruit and die forever, unless eating the fruit says, I wish God was dead and I ruled and I reigned instead of him. This is why we start with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Um, or if you want to see this in scripture, we could go to Psalm 51.4. So Psalm 51 is David after he's confronted for um, sleeping with Bathsheba, killing her husband, whose name is Just Uriah. Uriah, there we go. Um, I was thinking Nathaniel. I'm like, no, he's the prophet who comes and confronts him. David repents. He, he apologizes. He writes this song for forgiveness. And he says to the Lord, against you, you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. I mean, how could David say this? Who did David sin against? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Uriah, their, their families, his country, right? He's supposed to be the model king. But David says, all of that pales in comparison to the sin I did against God. David didn't, you know, sacrifice to a false god. He didn't burn down the temple. He didn't do anything like that. But he says, even my sins that don't seem to have anything to do with God are actually primarily against God, even against God only. So, so when we think about sin, we don't need to just think, okay, sin is breaking rules. That, that's correct, but that doesn't go deep enough to help us understand. It's about our hearts going astray from God and loving what is wrong. We need to remember, so I, I started at the beginning, right? I believe in God. God's not just the creator who makes rules for us to follow. God's also the father who loves us. God, then, then in sin, it, we're rejecting a person, not just breaking his rules. We're rejecting this father who loves us. We're like the, like the prodigal son, right? Who says, I don't care about my father. I'm going to leave. I want my inheritance. I'm going now. The inheritance or the prodigal son's biggest problem wasn't that he did some wrong things. It's that he hated his father. That's what sin is for us. I love the way that one, uh, one, one pastor put it. He says, what makes sin sin is not first that it hurts people, but that it blasphemes God. It, it says untrue things about God. The, this is the ultimate evil and ultimate outrage in the universe. The glory of God is not honored. The holiness of God is not reverenced. The greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The truth of God is not sought. The wisdom of God is not esteemed. The beauty of God is not treasured. The goodness of God is not savored. The faithfulness of God is not trusted. The promises of God are not relied upon. 
the commandments of God are not obeyed. The justice of God is not respected. The wrath of God is not feared. The grace of God is not cherished. The presence of God is not prized. The person of God is not loved. The infinite, all-glorious creator of the universe, by whom and for whom all things exist, who holds every person's life and being at every moment, is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, and dishonored by everybody in the world. That is the ultimate outrage of the universe. Sin is infinitely outrageous and should be punished infinitely, not because, you know, the individual actions are so bad, but because of who all sin is against. We don't sin against God's rules. We sin against God himself. We say, God, I reject you. Therefore, I reject your rules. Um, so in our house, Chrissy has some rules for me to follow, right? Let me, let me give you two of them. First is if you finish off the roll of toilet paper, you replace it, right? One of the ways you show somebody you love them is by not leaving them, you know, empty rolled, but you, you replace the toilet paper when you're done. That's one of the rules in, that Chrissy has for me in, in our house. A second rule that Chrissy has is I cannot leave her, fall in love with another woman, and then forsake Christy and Ella and start a new family with her. Which of those rules are more like sin? The second one. The second one. Because it's not just, hey, here's a rule that's disconnected from me. Maybe it's a good thing to do, but it's, it's an inconvenience at best. It's a fundamental break of relationship to sin against God. We, we often think, yeah, sin's more like the toilet paper. It's like rule number one. But really, it's far more like leaving your family to love someone else. Um, so, so that's what we have as kind of our understanding of sin. It's a forsaking of God. It's a ignoring his glory and his love and his fatherhood. It's a desire to kill God so that we can do things that God says is wrong. We have, we have questions so far on this? All right. So next question then. If we know what sin is, and we're talking about the forgiveness of sins, why do we need forgiveness? I'm not switching slides because I know you guys are going to cheat. Why do we need forgiveness of sins? There's nothing we can do to please God. Okay. So we can't please God. Why does that matter? Last week, uh -huh. it was like, oh, it was FDN. Uh-huh. Like, you can't, like, the punishment for sin is death, and, but you can't really, for each sin, you, like, need to die. Uh-huh. So it's not like you can die, come back and die. Okay. Because in the end, you're still dead. Okay. So we can't pay for our sins. And, I mean, what I'm hearing is nobody wants to die. Is that fair? Nobody wants to be punished eternally for sin? Yeah, we need forgiveness because the wrath of God is coming against sin. Um, Romans 1.18, I'll just read that one real quick here. Romans 18, 1.18 says this clearly. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, so wrath is revealed. We see it already. We know it's coming in the full, full extent um, eternally. We talked about that when we talked about uh, God's judgment, I don't know, maybe a month ago. Um, God's wrath against sin is coming, and there is nothing we can do about it. We are utterly hopeless. Um, you can try and be good, but you can't be good enough. Uh, Romans 3.20 says, For the works of the law, by doing what's right, no human will be justified in his sight. So we need forgiveness because sin has a penalty of death, hell, judgment, the wrath of God, however we want to say this, and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, so, so let's keep moving forward. What is forgiveness then? If we need it, what is it? Okay, so forgiveness is not holding a grudge. Okay, sins stricken or erased from the record. What else do we want to say forgiveness might be? Punishment of something is satisfied. Okay, punishment. The punishment for... Whoever I like where you're going is with this. Yeah. No, I'm saying apart from your consequences. So he's saying, I've gotten what I need and you don't have to pay it. Yeah, forgiveness is, you know, not holding your sins against you. It's actually going to be a little bit more than that, right? Um, so what is forgiveness? J.I. Packer, he's a, uh, he was a pastor, theologian, wrote a ton of really excellent books. He says, forgiveness is pardon. That's what we got. But it's in a personal setting, which means this. It's taking back into friendship those who went against you, hurt you, and put themselves in the wrong with you. It's compassionate in showing unmerited kindness to the wrongdoer. It's creative in renewing the spoiled relationship and inevitably costly. God's forgiveness is the supreme instance of this. For it is God in love restoring fellowship at the cost of the cross. So what he's saying is, yeah, we're, we're right in saying that forgiveness is not holding a grudge, our sins being stricken from the record, having punishment satisfied without us paying that punishment. But it's more than that. Forgiveness isn't just a legal or moral category. You did wrong, you pay. But remember, sin breaks the relationship with God. So it's, it's sin is a, I hate you, therefore I did wrong. And forgiveness fixes the I did wrong part through not holding a grudge and the sin stricken. And it fixes the I hate you part by bringing us back into a relationship with God. Um, we see a couple things about forgiveness from this quote, right? It's out of God's love that he forgives. It's creative, not in that it's, you know, like, hey, somebody's super creative. They wrote a song, but he makes something. He creates a relationship that was previously ruined, and it's costly. Forgiveness costs 
God the life of his son. It, it came at the price of the cross for us. I mean, whenever we forgive someone, it, it's going to be costly, right? If somebody, you know, goes and slanders you around the school, just making all of these false or true things about you that they shouldn't be saying, and you forgive them, you're saying, I'm just going to accept everything wrong you did to me and not try and get payback for these things. It's costly to us, but that's what forgiveness is. Um, which leads to my last question then. How do we get forgiveness? So if sin is a hatred towards God that leads to the, the doing of wrong things, and it deserves punishment that we're unable to, to, to pay, right? If God's wrath is a freight train coming down the tracks that we're unable to stop, but forgiveness will stop that freight train before it runs us over, then what, what makes forgiveness happen? How do we get forgiven? Praying about it. Okay. So, how are we forgiven? Praying? Let's back. I, I like where you're going. Let's back up a minute, though, and go even farther. First, you have to act. You have to be sorry for what you've done. Uh huh. Because some, after you do something wrong, someone doesn't just walk up to you and forgive you when you're not sorry that you did it. Okay. Okay. So having sorrow, um, praying for forgiveness. Correct. Think more broadly for me. How are we forgiven? How does forgiveness come to us? Yep. Asking and confessing, which kind of goes up here, maybe. I guess asking could go with prayer. Think even more broadly. Take a couple steps back. We're too far down the process. How are we forgiven? Because here's the danger of what I'm hearing now. If we want to be forgiven, there's things we need to do to get it. We need to be sorry about it. We need to confess our sins. We need to ask God through prayer to forgive us. The, the problem with these answers, at least when we ask how are we forgiven, is that forgiveness has very little to do with us. The thing that we bring to forgiveness is our need, but we're forgiven by Jesus Christ on the cross, by his blood alone. Christ is the one who pays for our sins. Christ is the one who earns our forgiveness. We never earn our forgiveness by, you know, are feeling sorry for sin or praying. It's all from Christ, right? So, you know, let's say, have you ever been to like one of those gourmet milkshake restaurants where they're like $18 milkshakes and they have, you know, like a chicken wing or like a s'more or something just insane in the milkshake. And you're there and you're like, man, I want a milkshake, but I don't have any money and I can't steal from the youth room. So I'm a callback from earlier. Don't steal from the youth room. Um, I'm going to empty the money tonight. I gave too many ideas. You know, I can't afford this. So, so somebody comes and they buy you the $18 gourmet milkshake that's, you know, Instagram worthy. And you, like, grab the free straw and you put the straw in. And you're like, man, I'm glad I got this straw. Otherwise, man, I could never have this milkshake if it wasn't for me grabbing the free straw off the counter. That's like, that's like saying, yeah my asking earns forgiveness. No, like we did the free thing of, we went through the motions to get it, 
but the, the forgiveness was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, so let's go. If you're over in this section, you're going to read me Romans 5, 8. If you're in this middle section, which is going to be Liam, you're reading Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. If you're, if you're wearing a greenish shirt, you're looking at 1 Timothy 115. And if you're Ellis or Waylon, you're looking up John 3, 16 and 17 for me. John what? Uh, it's the ones on, on the screen. It's John 3, 16 and 17. We're going to go five different verses to prove this just because we need to see from Scripture. It's not what we do. It's not our asking. It's not our coming to Christ even that brings us into salvation. It's all of what Christ does and then we respond to it. So are we in, in Romans 5.8 yet? Go, one of you, go ahead and read that nice and loud for us. Shiloh, go ahead and read that nice and loud for us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so while we were sinners, before we did anything to earn, that doesn't even make sense, apart from doing anything to earn salvation, even still saying, I hate God, I wish you were dead so I could be God, Christ died for us. That's how we're forgiven. Or skipping over the middle section, uh, 1 Timothy 1.15. Go ahead, Josiah. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Okay. So the whole reason Christ came, according to 1 Timothy, is to save sinners. This was Christ's entire mission. Or John 3.16 and 17, we might have heard this verse before. Who wants it? Go ahead, Waylon. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not per perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to have the world in but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so God sent Jesus so that whoever believes would have life and not death and judgment. That's an important verse. I don't know. Have you ever heard thought or heard? Jesus is love. God the Father is angry. God the Father, if he had it his way, he would just send everyone to hell because he's an angry God. But Jesus is kind of there saying, whoa, 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 calm down, God. Like, let's show some love. I'll go and die so that people don't go to hell. Have you ever heard that or thought about that? No? Okay. Well, if you ever do, look at John 3, 16, where it says, who loved the world? Not Jesus to love the world. I mean, that's true. But it says that God the Father loved the world to the point that he sent his own son. It's not that God is angry and Jesus is loving, but it's that God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all together love, and so Christ came. Um, and then Hebrews 9, 24, 5, and 6. You got that one, Liam? Christ had entered not into the holy places made with hands, 
which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself pentagly as repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to have to have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice for of himself. Okay, so Hebrews is usually a little bit difficult to understand what it's talking about. It's one of the harder books just to dive into in the New Testament. But what Hebrews 9 is saying is that if Jesus was just a man who became, you know, a priest and made sacrifices, he would have to go in day after day after day after day to sacrifice his own sins before he could deal with the sins of any of the other people that he's sacrificing for. But because Christ is perfect, because Christ is God, he made one sacrifice one time, which put away sin forever, so that by this one sacrifice, sins can be forgiven and we can be made right with God. So we're, we're forgiven while we were enemies through Christ's one sacrifice to save sinners as God sent Christ in the world to do. Or we could read uh, Titus 3, 5 through 7, which I have up there that says, He, God, saved us. God saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is a packed sentence. I, you know, before I came here, our pastor preached through Titus. And Jeff preached through Titus in like 13 sermons when we first came here. In Louisville, we did, I want to say, 72 sermons through the three books of, or three chapters of Titus. And this was about three months worth of sermons right there. And we went way too fast. I mean, that is a huge sentence. But what does it say? God is the one who saves us. Not by anything we do, even our good things we do, but according to his mercy, by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, so that being justified or forgiven, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We might receive God's eternal life. And that's the point of forgiveness, right? It's to be brought back into relationship with God and receive God's life and light and love as his heirs, as his children, and not the punishment and the death that we deserve. All right. We have time for a couple questions. Do we have questions on forgiveness? I think this is something we assume a lot and don't necessarily, you know, talk about a lot because we think, oh yeah, forgiveness, putting away sins. I got this. But I think you probably saw it's a little bit deeper and a little bit more than that tonight. Okay, I got a good one. You got a good one. So God says that your works did not get you to heaven. Yes. You did not work your way to heaven. Yet it also says in the Bible that to prove that you are a Christian, that uh, 
you, sorry, your, your good works show that you are a Christian. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have to work to go into heaven, how do you, why do you have to still do good works to prove that you're a Christian? This is exactly why we take questions, right? That is, let me, let me, yeah, keep those. Let me just throw up a blank slide here so that we have room to write. Where do I push that one? Okay, so the question is, we are not saved by works. And we are only saved if we have good works. Is that the second part of your question? We have to do good works to show we're a Christian? Yeah. Okay. Okay. First question. Are these both biblical statements? Yes. Yes. Uh, so we'll go, we're not saved by works. We'll call that Titus 3.5. Anybody have something um, to put on the other column to show, yeah, um, works are necessary for us. Just so we can see this in scripture. And... Okay. James 2.14. Yep. I was looking for the one in Hebrews because I was there. So James 14, 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The answer being no. Faith without any good works to prove your faith can't save anyone. So the question... 17 is even clearer, which says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, dead faith can't save anyone. If you have faith but no works, you're not a Christian. But your works do nothing to make you a Christian. How are we dealing with this? Um, so let me, let me give us our tree again. And see if I can say this a couple ways. So why is this tree have, we're going to call them apples on it. Okay, it's an apple tree. There we go. The tree has apples because it's an apple tree. We, we happy with that? Beautiful answer. How do you know it's an apple tree? Okay. So we're not saved by works. We're saved by Christ. The reason that we would be an apple tree and not a gangly, nasty, sick fruit tree is because God plants the tree. It grows up and it's shown, yeah, I'm an apple tree. How? By producing apples. By producing apples. So if we think about it, we are saved on the very basis, the, the main thing we're saved by only thing we're saved by is God planting this tree by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, our trust in him. And that makes us into a tree. That's what makes somebody a Christian. And then they're shown to be a Christian. How? By being a seed in the ground? By producing apples. The proof of somebody's 
Christianity is the fruit that comes up on the tree. So if we want to think it in the picture of the tree metaphor, we are saved by Jesus, which is proven by our fruit. If we don't have fruit, that means there's no tree. A tree can't pop up and not produce fruit. In this analogy, in real life it can. Um, so it's either you're a tree that bears fruit, that's good fruit, because God saved you, therefore you have these good works, your faith is not dead, or you're a dead tree producing dead works. Um, or if we want to look at it a different way, we could go to a place like, let's say, Philippians, why don't you flip to Philippians 2.12? So this first, first explanation makes sense. I know I told you to flip somewhere, and now I'm trying to ask questions. Can I just add something to what you said? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the fruit tree. <laughs> when I said that earlier, I didn't realize that you had the text up when <laughs> I was talking about it. But, um, I, you know, if you kind of view yourself as, if I want to go to heaven... I got to be the right kind of person that produces the right kind of fruit, the right kind of life, right? Because the only people that go to heaven are the right kind of people, the people that are fit for heaven. And you know people are fit by heaven by how they live. So how do I do that? How do I become a person that's fit for heaven? Well, you can't do anything to make yourself a fruit tree or to make yourself fit for heaven. You, you have to believe in what Christ has done, and on the basis of that faith, God makes you a new creature. God makes you the kind of person, because of your faith, God makes you the kind of person that's fit for heaven. So he, he transforms you, qualifies you, he makes you into what you weren't before. Somebody that loves God and, and people and wants to show those kinds of things. Yeah, so let's say you get, if heaven is a train station, right, the thing that you have to pay with to get on board the train is going to be this proof of good works, right? That's the evidence that you trusted Christ. No good works, no getting on the, the heaven train, right? The train is bound for glory. You know that song? No, I'm old. Cool. Um, I read a story, though. Okay, there we go. So, how do we get those good works? Are we saying, I trust Jesus to become a Christian, then I work really hard to do good works so that my good works that I did on the basis of Christ's blood get me into heaven. So Christ starts the process, Christ finishes the process, I work really hard in the meantime apart from Christ. Is that what I'm saying? No. Am I saying Christ starts the process, Christ finishes the process, I work really hard in the meantime through Christ? That's exactly what I'm saying. It's a work hard as Christ works in you. So we're at Philippians 2.12, right? Um, which says, Work out, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So here's what we want to get to. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when we read, work out your salvation, that's not, okay, it's difficult Greek language there, but it, it probably means work to completion your own salvation. You know, your salvation started in your life, you can say, when you accepted Jesus. It will be completed when you enter heaven. So work it out to completion. Do the work. Don't just sit back and relax and expect Jesus to do the work in you. Work out to completion your own salvation, which sounds like this second half of your question that seems kind of antithetical to forgiveness being in Christ, right? You're like, I don't know what you just said. When I say work out your own salvation, complete your own salvation, that sounds like you must have good works to be a Christian. And what about Jesus in this? But the verse doesn't end there. It says, for which means the reason you should work out your salvation is who's working in you. I'm, I'm just curious, actually, Josiah. I'm curious because I'm wondering if behind your question a little bit, or as a part of your question, you have a certain understanding of what good works are. Right. So how would you define good works just real quickly? If, if we're not saved by doing good works, but we must have good works to enter the kingdom, what qualifies as a good work? Praying, going to church, helping out the church, uh, talking uh, with your friends about Christ, okay. reading uh -huh. the Bible with, with people, uh, okay. stuff like that. Okay, so those are the fruit, the evidence of salvation, yes. which you need to enter into heaven. Okay. Um, Okay, we'll come back there in just a second. So the, the reason that we're supposed to work out by doing those things, our salvation, is because God's the one who's working in you. We work because God works in us. He's giving us desire, the will, and the power, the work to do these things, which means you absolutely need good works to enter heaven. And so you trust Jesus to save you and you trust Jesus to sanctify you or to make you a person who does these good works. It's not just us that works hard, but it's God who works in you. Which means the whole thing, from being saved or forgiven, to growing in godliness, working to completion our own salvation, to being glorified in heaven, being made perfect, what we're going to get to next week. That's all the work of God. So while the good works are the fruit of the tree... It's not, you know, the fruit that we make on our own. It's the fruit that God works in us, which means we trust Jesus to save us, to sanctify us, and to glorify us um, by doing the good works. Does that help at all? And I think you're right on good works. I don't think we need to come back there. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Any other, any other questions on forgiveness? So let me, let me ask you one that I hear pretty often. Oh, I had a blank page. Great. If we're forgiven, right? So Jesus has forgiven us. Why do I need to confess my sins? Or let me say this another way. What's the role? Like Jesus forgave 
every sin, past, present, and future on the cross when I accepted Christ. So why would I spend time of being a Christian confessing my sins and asking for forgiveness of if Jesus already provided it? Or to say it a third way, I hear it. Okay, let's say somebody is in a gang, right? And, but they're a Christian. It's a Christian gang. I don't know how this exists. And they kill somebody and they don't have time to confess before they die because they have an unconfessed sin in their life. Do they go to heaven or to hell? Anybody ask any questions along those lines? Is that confusing to anyone? Okay. We used to. Or, you know, I put 1 John 1 9, 1 9 up there. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, meaning if we don't confess our sins, does that mean God doesn't forgive us and cleanse us? Um, so how do we deal with that? Is that anybody's question or is that just my question? Yeah, okay, Chloe's like, yep, that's a good question. I'll take it. So let me throw out two, two other concepts for you. We have... Let's, let's, let's start over here. Union and communion. So we have union with Christ as, as our left side category. Communion with Christ is our right side category. Anyone want to take a stab at the difference here? Letters are different. Okay. Well, I mean, it's just added a com here, but yeah. Okay, so when I say union with Christ, what I mean is the unbreakable B -L -E, bond between Christ and Christians. Or we might want to call this salvation. Right? The unbreakable bond between Christ and Christians. The thing that nothing can come between because it's not based on us. It's based on Christ alone. When I say commune, yeah. We can use it that way. I'm not using it that way. But yeah, we can refer to the Lord's Supper, the remembering of Jesus as communion. When I say communion, I'm thinking more of experiencing, I guess I'm writing down here, friendship with God or with Christ to keep this. Consistent. So there's two aspects of the Christian life, right? You have to be saved. That's union with Christ. But there's also this ongoing friendship, fellowship with God, um, relationship with God. So why does a Christian confess their sins in the Christian life? Let's say, you know, I sin by whatever I'm sitting by, lying to Chrissy about eating french fries for lunch and nothing else and no vegetables. And, you know, I have sin in my life. Is that sin taking away my union with Christ? Yes. No. Because my union isn't based on what I do. It's based on Jesus Christ alone. Mm -hmm. Is that sin in my life? Even though it's kind of directed towards myself and Chrissy and not... God in particular, is that sin in my life affecting my communion with God? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because all sin is against God and God only. We talked about that from Psalm 51. So the place of confession for a Christian is not so much in this union category. You know, that's based on what Christ did. If you, I don't think this would ever happen in reality, but if you accept Jesus and you truly love him and are forgiven by him and you never confess another sin in your entire life, you're united with Christ because that's based on what Jesus does. But if you do that, like you, you don't actually know who God is. Because if you know God, you're going to be confessing your sins because you want a relationship with him. You don't say, God is glorious and beautiful and wonderful and I want to ignore him. You say, and I want as much of that as possible. So you're doing whatever it takes to confess sins, to get them out of your life so you can have friendship and relationship with Jesus. In the same way of, you know, this afternoon, it was nap time for our whole family, right? And Ella goes down for a nap. And whether or not she sleeps, Dan goes down for a nap on Sunday afternoons. And Chrissy says, "Why I'm rocking her, can you unload the dishwasher and like put all the dishes from last night because we were too tired and lazy to actually do dishes last night into the dishwasher? And I said, sure. And then, you know, Chrissy goes and rocks her. And I, I, I did it. But let's just say, I said, okay, well, Chrissy's in Ella's room. How will I just go into my room and I take a nap and I don't unload the dishwasher? And then Chrissy comes in, did you unload it? Yes, I did. Kitchen's clean. And then, you know, five o'clock rolls around. We wake up. That's a really long nap, but we're taking it anyways because it's delightful. You know, wake up time rolls around. Chrissy goes out to the kitchen. She's like, why is it covered with all the dishes and the dishwasher's full? I'm like, because I took a nap instead. Are we still married? Yeah. Are we having a happy marriage? No. no, you're like, I'm not married, but I know the answer to that one. It, it's, it's the same thing with Christ. You know, our sin does not break the union, but it can hurt how much we enjoy and fellowship and have this you know, flow of grace in our lives from Jesus. Um, you know, just like not reading scripture means we're not open to God speaking to us. Not praying means we're not in relationship with him. We're missing out on his blessings if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Any other questions on forgiveness? This is an important topic that, you know, it's too often assumed. Yeah. Mm. Oh, man. So next week, we're just doing questions. No lesson at all. Like, these are fantastic. So, so I think, so I don't have a Bible verse on this one where I can say, well, read this verse, and obviously the answer is this. But, so, you know, I'll take some input here. I would say, when you become a Christian, you confess the thoughts and the words and the deeds that you have done that break God's law. But more than that, you don't just say, okay, Lord, forgive me for, you know, punching my brother and cheating on my math homework and, you know, gossiping about my best friend. Rather, you say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. 
And so when you say I'm a sinner, that kind of categorically says everything at this level has been confessed by simply saying this. Um, does that make sense? So it's, you know, it's, to use another, you know, me and Chrissy analogy, if I say to Chrissy, can you wash my red sweater and my red pants, I don't have red pants, and my red socks, and Chrissy, you know, washes them and does the laundry because she's kind and generous in that way, and then, like, I go and I look through the clean basket, I'm like, oh, man, I forgot to ask you to wash my red underwear, and, like, now that's still dirty, you know? If I were to say, hey, Chrissy, can you wash my red clothes? Then it doesn't so much matter if I forget one red garment. I don't know why I picked underwear. I guess that's just what happens in youth group. You know, because I've already said, wash everything that's red and make it clean. So I'm not, you know, it's good to confess the individual things. But when we say, forgive me because I am a sinner, that's getting deeper and it kind of encompasses those other things. I think there's definitely places, you know, I mean, I was saved as a kid. I don't remember everything that I did. But as, you know, something reminds me of something, and I'm like, man, I feel guilty for that to confess it as I think of it. But, you know, just because I didn't remember the way I sinned when I was two years old doesn't mean I can't ask God for forgiveness for my sin. Yeah, what were you going to say? Uh, uh, I was just remembering when Josiah said God is satisfied. Mm -hmm. um, that's a helpful thing to remember, too. Um, it's Jesus' death that satisfies his justice. And in the Old Testament, there, you know, when you had to offer animal sacrifices to pay for your sins, there was also a sacrifice to, to offer for um, unknown sins. Mm. You know, like, I, I mean, because we sin and don't know it. Like, you know, we, all of us have sinned today and maybe don't even realize ways in which we've sinned. And so um, Jesus fulfills that animal sacrifice also, the, you know, the sins that we don't even know about. So for that reason, I think it's a good practice for when we do, like, you know, it's good, like, at the end of the day before you go to bed to pray and ask God to forgive you for maybe things that you did wrong that day. It's also just a good practice to say, Lord, I know I've sinned in ways that I don't know and mm -hmm. maybe even remember, forgive me for them. I guess just a good practice to be in that kind of frame of mind where you just remember again and again, I sin, my sin is so broad and deep that I don't even realize all of it. Yeah. Um, but Jesus satisfies God, and so we're... You know, we're, we're restored to the relationship God based on that. Yeah. That's even our praise that God would reveal all of our sin at once. Oh, yeah. We would be crushed underneath that weight. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's kind of a, what, the arrogant attitude, the prideful attitude to be like, you know what? I'm based, like, now that Christ's in me, like, sin doesn't live in me anymore. I never sin. And, like, if I sin, I'm going to know it. And then I can confess it. That's kind of a, a prideful attitude where the humble person says, you know, I'm just going to assume I'm in the wrong here and that God is in the right and that I'm not perfect. And so I am happy to confess things that I don't see in my life. Um, that's just the act of humility, which, I mean, in the Proverbs, 
And then the New Testament twice, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, you know, we want to err on the side of humility and not proud, pride. Even that's a good fruit, a work of faith. Yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the good works is humility, that we trust Christ to produce humility as the fruit of what Christ has done. You know, Christ the root, Christ makes fruit, Christ harvests the fruit for his own enjoyment. All right, anything else? I feel like those questions were much better than our dodgeball game. So let me, uh, let me, let me pray for us because it is 125 and that's, that's when we stop. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for forgiveness. Lord, our, our sins are many. And, and your mercy is more, like the song says. We are sinful, and that produces sin in our lives. And sin, as, as we learned, it's not just that we break rules, but sin is a sign that we hate you, that we don't want you to be God. Lord, even as a Christian filled with your Holy Spirit, there's still that part of me that... That, that loves myself far more than I love you, that betrays you, that commits treason against you. And I need your forgiveness every single day. So Lord, we thank you for giving us your word that shows us that, that forgiveness is available in you. We thank you for sending Christ who bought our forgiveness that, um, that we could never do anything to earn. We know that we're not saved by our even our righteous works. Lord, we thank you that you produce in us good works, that you don't leave us alone to do that, but you, you save us, you sanctify us, and you glorify us. Lord, we thank you for Christ because we are weak and unable to do anything apart from him. Lord, for those um, in our group who have never experienced your forgiveness, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that you would show them that you are a God of wrath, that sins are going to be judged, and that you are a God of mercy who is eager to forgive sins of all who come to you through your Son. Lord, for those of us who know your forgiveness, I pray that you would make us humble so that we continue to confess our sins, so that we continue to come to Christ and enjoy his sweetness, and his friendship and relationship. Lord, we thank you for this time tonight. We pray that it would not um, just be a exercise in trying to understand something and then moving on throughout the week, but that we would think on these texts, that we would think on this lesson, and that you would change us, that you would make us people who forgive others because we have been forgiven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.